Hello, 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 and welcome in to episode nine of the Bear Claw Media Podcast. I am Chris Boland, joined as always by Ben Schleiger. How you doing, buddy? Oh, not too bad. I mean, you know, besides fighting with a mountain lion uh, this morning, we're uh, we're doing, you know, just dandy. I mean, I was looking for something to to lead in with, so you getting mauled by the kitty actually actually gives us something to talk about here. So thanks for for taking one for the team. Yeah, like we were uh, texting about earlier. You're like, oh, what you up to today? And I was like, taking the cat to the vet, um, trying to be a good son-in-law. Um, kitty said no in a big way. So yeah, um, we're just gonna roll into uh, much brighter things. Um, like UNC playing against uh, Sac State this week, we we did a lot better. I feel you know this is number three team in the country, and we lost by eight. I I know it's still a loss. Fans are still uh, raucous at at Nottingham about it, and you know not there. There's mixed feelings on coach, but I, I think we have the right pieces, and we've gotten a lot better since the season started. Yeah, um, normally. It's like, well, the Broncos lost and UNC lost again. And it's like very, very bleh. But I, I, I mean, you know what they, moral victories, everybody kind of feels a, a little different about them. But I feel, I feel pretty solid after that loss. I mean, it wasn't ideal. Um, the, that fourth and two uh, from, Sac State's own 20 that they that UNC couldn't convert would have given a chance to tie but I mean that is the third ranked team in the country so I think we could be faring a lot worse right and I mean we almost beat the the 13th ranked team in the country of course Weber looks much worse now than they did when they when they started the season but you know this team is on an upward trajectory um and I, I think the the best well, one of the best ways to put it was just uh, coach in his uh, weekly presser. Uh, well, I guess his post game uh, conference presser that we went to. Um, he had a lot of good things to say um, about everybody on the staff, and and you know, uh, I think Ann from the Tribune said something interesting as they look completely different than when they played UIW. You know, lo- looking at it, we've played uh, a- as the current standings are this week because I mean. Weber was ranked, now they're not. But as the top twenty-five stands this week, we have uh we just played the number three team. We played the number five team earlier in the year. Uh in two weeks we go to uh the number nine team, and in three weeks we host the number ten team. So anybody who says that we're dodging people, they are they're they're dodging themselves. Uh this has been a rough schedule probably one of the rougher ones that we've uh seen this whole decade and i think the bears are doing some doing a lot with it it didn't go their way and yeah we're zero and six but we look more competitive than we have in a long time and and you're right zero and six is zero and six um but this is the time of the year I, i think it was after the incarnate word game that lamb mentioned there's like a point in the season where teams either give up or they don't kind of, you know, and especially uh, if you're, if if you're not winning, it's, it's an easy, easy time to give up. Um, But it really seems like they have not, and they've fought everything. It seems like they've only bought in more as the season's gone along. Right. And it it sounds like they keep on trying things like 
we uh we finally asked this week about like um for green's punts occasionally he has one that just shanks out to the right and we asked you know is that part of the scheme or whatnot and he said that it's built in to have option plays that if green really sees something and something's truly open that he can go for it so that made us feel a lot better about that rugby uh style punt that shanked out of bounds and the thing is they're not done um, they're, they have points where it looks like they're kind of giving up in the individual games where they're just, man, we're just, we're not going to win this one. Do they just kind of walk back to the line? But outside of that, you know, like in the fourth quarter, they really rallied. So I, I think there's a lot of good, good signs here. Um, but he's right. Just like you said, they're at a fork in the road where people need to just, you know, stay on the train and keep buying in or they need to hop off and, you know, let the let somebody else step up. I think he's 100% right on that. And if more of the right people step up or buy in, whichever choice they make, I think we could continue to see some more improvement. I mean, this week is going to be the biggest test of, you know, can they get over the hump with Cal Poly? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we'll we'll get to it a little later, but if there's a win to be had, uh, I think it's, it's this week. I think it's on Saturday. <laughs> Um, but I, I we kind of danced all around it, but a good place to start, I think, is is that beginning of that fourth quarter. Um, Sac State scored a touchdown to end the third, um, and UNC, so UNC got the ball back, immediately punted, um, um, and texted me and was like, I think that might be ball game. And I 100% agreed with her, especially because Sac State got the ball back and we're just moving it down the field easy. Like, um, it, and that was kind of that time you mentioned in game where it, it felt like they gave up. Uh, they, they were walking back to the huddle. It just, it, it wasn't there. And kind of the, the culmination of that was, I had actually forgot. I remember being like, like in person, just like upset about it a little bit and kind of, but, uh, there was a holding call that, call that brought back a 40 yard Sac State touchdown I actually kind of forgot that that the first penalty happened on that touchdown and so that made it uh I think that was 15 yards and then the next play I think was that pass interference where the it had a it was like pretty obvious even from where we were sitting but the call had to come from that back judge where he got there like there's there's stiff arm and then there's like like bungee cord releasing yeah. like just, there was no yeah that I want that one was rough 26 he he would have caught the ball anyways he didn't need to do that thank goodness he did yeah because that um put that made it second and 32 and took Sac State from UNC's 40 to their back to their own 35 and uh and I think they was like a, a short run or an incomplete pass and then uh, a short run where Caden Bennett actually took like pretty big pop on a, on a third and 32 play. Um, but UNC gets the ball back on their own 18, uh, 8.46 left in the game. And they just, I, I would say best offensive drive I had seen in the game about, I, they, they had some success moving the ball, but I, just a good like is 14 plays 73 yards converted three big third downs um and then green uh hit a 19 yard field goal to pull it to eight um which 
I feel like that was kind of when I was actually like believe there was a chance, you know, because, you know, like you can you can do the math in your head, but it, it's a different story to try to see the defense stop Sac State when they need to. And uh, lo and behold, they did force the three and out uh, pretty not a very impressive effort by Sac State on that one. Um, and UNC got the ball back with just under five minutes left down eight. Um, what, what, where were you, where were you like in that moment? Kind of what were your, what was your headspace? Did you, or more so did, I don't know. What, what did you think the most likely outcome was? If you had to give it a percentage, any way you want to quantify this, I will stop talking. I mean, honestly, I, I thought there was probably about a 30% chance that we tie um, because us getting all the way down there and getting a touchdown, you know, it, it seemed like there was a lot stacked against us. Um, and then having to do the two point conversion just to tie again, there was, there was a lot of factors coming against us. Um, but they really came out and they, they dink and dunked and, um, they, they got, it, it was seven plays to get down to the 24 and, you know, then things kind of stopped working um, they missed two in a row and it came down to that fourth and two uh, where we were watching and we're like, oh God, are they going to go for it? Or are they just going to kick the field goal? Um, well, I was confused because who did I heard somebody in the crowd had mentioned that Gibbs had come in, which was the backup quarterback. Mm -hmm. And I know that, but something in my brain said green. And I was like, why the hell are they <laughs> kicking a field goal right here? Right. Because like, at that point, I think there was like a minute and I may have the time written down, but it was like a minute and change left. There was like, there wasn't. Yeah. I think really it was just under to... two minutes. Um, yeah. Gibbs did come out. Cause I was like 18. Ooh, they're, they're, they're going to try to sneak it. Um, and of course that kind of all went to crap. Um, Cause there was, they, they were running down the playcock. There was potentially 12 people, 12 guys in, on the field at that time. Um, and... I think what it was is I think they had 12 break the huddle. And um, right. he ran off, but I I think it's a penalty, no matter what. At that point, and right. so yeah, they would it would have called illegal substitution on us most likely. Um, and, and then UNC got the timeout off like as the play was snapped. So and, and the worst part was that looked better than um, David Afari trying to run to the left and finding a one on one and not not getting any chance um, to get get to that line. Uh, honestly, thinking back on this a little bit, just kind of having some time to ruminate on it, I almost wish they would have went for the field goal or just taken the penalty because they took themselves out of the game by um by using that timeout because then they were down to two. There's no way you can you can stop the clock with uh with less than one forty to go. So I I almost wish they would have either taken it and gone for a field goal. Or, you know, just hope that the refs didn't call the 12 men. I don't know. I think I think the field goal, I think you would get the ball back if you're lucky with, like, what, a minute and 20 seconds left and no timeouts, which I feel like a fourth and two is a better better odds than that. And then, I don't know. I feel like I – I think it was the right call, I guess – I I think it, it sucks that that's where that like the twelve men broke the huddle on that play of all plays, 
but I think I think they made the right call. The if only if they could have got the timeout off a little earlier. I don't know exactly what like the thought process was or you know, but because Lamb seemed to he said something along the lines of like we had it on that first play in the presser. Um, but could you tell what was happening? It it looked like. Gibbs turned around like he took the snap and like turned back. But so, I, honestly, it just looked like he wasn't even sure if he was supposed to run the play or not, because I think he didn't want to um, waste that play. If for some reason coach was like, no go, like doesn't look right. Um, or if he did think about the, the, the guy running off late or the play clock that was under five at that point, like, yeah, it was, I, I think it would have been better just, you know, if, if you're all wrong, you're all right is just go at it full speed and just, you know, hope it works. Uh, I mean, he's big enough. He's 6'5", almost 240. I think he's 230, 235, something like that. Um, Big dude. Like, they, Sac State has one of the best run defenses in um, the FCS, and and maybe not statistically, but in my opinion, uh, they really take the wind out of some of those those rushing offenses (laughs) and some of those uh, playmakers. So it still wouldn't have been a for sure thing. Like if we were doing that against um, some of the other opponents we've seen, you know, Gibbs gets it seven times out of 10. I think this would have been a five out of 10. Um, but yeah, it, it sucks. It it shouldn't have ever happened. Um, coach said in the presser, you know, that, you know, the coaches need to do better, um, that they, they take the majority of the blame this week. So I think he's right. It's one of those, it could have been different if the coaches had everybody on the same page, just were a little bit more um, efficient with their, their use of time between plays a little bit more, maybe a little bit more efficient in their decision-making and time management. Just like, yep, this is it. Go do it right now. Line up, hike, done. Um, I think there's just a little bit, we're, we're just a little bit gun shy because we're all kind of green. Um, they're kind of, you know, they're too worried about making a mistake that they take too much time in the decision making. So, I mean, all in all, there there wasn't a wasn't a whole lot of mistakes overall by UNC, but when it happened, of course, it seemed to be at key moments. The they burned those three timeouts probably saved themselves a couple mistakes that would have shown up on the the end of game stats. Um, but two personal fouls led not directly, but very heavily aided two of Sac State's three touchdowns. Um, the, in the first half, there was uh, offensive lineman, Carson Oliver. He uh, it was a, gave the ball up to Sac State around midfield because from and after the penalties. Um, he tackled a, a Sac State player after the whistle. Um, but Lamp stood up for his guy in the in the post game and said basically he didn't think that one should have been labeled unsportsmanlike because the Sac State player like picked up the ball and started to run with it. Um didn't was there anything on that play? I was like walking as that play happened so I didn't get a great like view of of like the incident itself. Did you have anything else on that? Oh, you're not going to like my opinion on either of these. Um, and this is not me being a homer. This is me being uh, by the book type of guy is uh, cover your ears, Mama Schlager. Both these calls were bullshit. Um, 
I did not like it at all. The whole canceling out uh, unsportsmanlike penalties and like it's still a loss of downs. I I, I call bull on that one. Uh, Carson Oliver was doing absolutely nothing wrong. The Sac, Sac State uh, defender, um, you know, they he, he was going quite a bit after the play, it seemed. Uh, the whistles were late all day long. I think the, the action was already done. And Oliver was, he was just playing to the tempo of what the refs had set for expectations. So I, I think the, it, it was patty cake. It was patty cake to, to call unsportsmanlike on either of them. It should have just been, you know, no fumble, plays over. R- reset, get, get back in your huddles, is what it is. I would chalk it up to just squabbling. I I think it was it was unnecessary. Um and I think throughout the game there was a lot of offsides on our side. You know, I'll I'll rat us out on defense. <laughs> we were offside quite a few times. Um was not called by the line judge. Um there was also several bad pass interferences um on their side that was not called. So if I ever had to write in a letter about the line judges stepping up their game, which I won't. I won't be a Karen. You know, let's chalk it up to a bad day. But the line judges were really off their game, and uh, going forward, they need to step it up because there was times where we were clearly offsides, and the PI was pretty, pretty prevalent. And I don't agree about the next one you're going to talk about, so I'll let you explain it. <laughs> then I'll go on my tirade and get on my soapbox even further about targeting but go ahead and lay lay the scene yeah so i don't think um i don't think i'm going out on a limb saying ed lamb's probably not going to run into any issues having to pay fines from things he says at press conferences um and i don't think it's i don't think he's doing it so he doesn't get fined i think that's just kind of who he is um he's not one to really complain um but so that being said, this was about as critical as I've seen him be of refs in the, our small sample size. And he did end his statement with, but they typically get those calls pretty right. So I'm going to defer to them, basically. Um, but he uh, he expressed a little doubt um, on the targeting call on Caden Bennett in the third quarter. Um, they had him stood up and uh, Ryan Capasso came in. Um, leading with the crown of his helmet, they say, and kind of hit him late. Um, there was no flag on the play, um, but after 20 seconds or so, they announced they were going to review it. Um, and they did end up call the targeting, ejected Capasso. Um, and I think literally the next play, Caden Bennett threw kind of a 50-50 ball into the end zone, and they scored on it. Um, but go for it, Ben, to take us away. Oh, this one gets me hot. Targeting is, ooh, it's controversial. Everybody gets all turned up about it. Here's, here's a small education on it, boys and girls. And if I'm wrong, sue me. Don't actually. Shout out Brett Favre. Um, but actually, like for real, targeting, not the forehead. It's not the face mask. That is not targeting. Targeting is this part. This about six inch diameter on the top of the head. He didn't drop his whole fucking head on him. He used right here where it says shut, where it, where it says Riddell. You are allowed to hit with that. I, I didn't see a launch. 
from our position. If he launched, that does add into it of potentially an injurious play. So I could see that if they were calling a launch. But from our seats, it was right where the shut Riddell is. So I really disagree with it being targeting. I also disagree with the booth coming back to it because Lamb alluded that it was it was someone upstairs um, with Big Sky or somebody somebody outside of the on the field staff that alerted back to this play as being targeting. I feel I think, like that's probably pretty typical, though, at this point. I don't think that's necessarily a unique situation. No, it's not unique at all. But I think if the on-the-field staff don't don't feel that it's targeting um, and there's there's no penalty for unnecessary roughness, that that, that call should go missed. If the on-the-field staff don't deem it that way, then keep the ball rolling. Because if you go back and you know, the booth starts calling on offsides, PI, all this other stuff. It, you know, we may as well have Amazon and Alexa just hovering around out there. Oh, flag on the play. May as well put drones out there. Like if the human eye and the human factor of refing, uh is going to be overruled by dudes with Xbox controllers uh, sitting in a booth somewhere, I- I'm not having it. You can do that on Sundays. This is Saturdays. You need one foot in, you know, it's, it's college. It's for, it's supposed to be fun. And just taking, taking a full game away from a kid is a big deal. And it should be treated that way because health wise, you only get so many games, you know, however many years you can afford college, whether you're on scholarship or not, there's only so many games you get. And sometimes life just says, Hey, football's not for you. So it's a big decision when you take the rest of that kid's half and the next half of his first game and completely axed it out, especially when I feel like it's not in that that dome, that six-inch diameter that it's supposed to be. Unless he launched, I feel like it's just uh, an egregious overreach. So I'll hop back off my soapbox. <laughs> Very good. Um no, I think one thing that I didn't consider in the moment, but he was, it was a scramble um, and he would have been considered a runner at that point. So there shouldn't have been any, but it, it, I wonder if subconsciously and the review may help or hurt this, um, just the, the fact that the quarterback is kind of stood up and then just takes a pop to the head. Um, I wonder, you know, subconsciously or consciously how much that weighs onto the decision, even though he's not the quarterback in that position. You know, he's just any ball carrier. Right. And defensive defenseless player is definitely um, kind of one of those terms in football that's still evolving. It's not quite set. Um, but an important distinction you had there is he was a runner. So he accepts less protections at that point because um, he's not making any concessions. So he should be treated as if any other ball carrier on the field. The other thing is I'm, I'm not sold on the fact that it was head-to-head contact, and I'm not sold that it wasn't face mask or, or nameplate to um, head. I mean, it, it's, it wasn't an egregious, like, ear hole-type play as, as you know, we're used to from, from high school ball of somebody just coming and just smacking the side of your head. It was literally he was getting wrapped up. He had the ball in his hands. He could put his hands up, 
he could have dropped the ball and given us the ball. That would have been nice too. <laughs> but I don't feel like he was completely defenseless at that point. Um, it wasn't it wasn't a blind side, I would say, either. Um, I know all of this is still kind of evolving and you know, it, the NFL doesn't even know what a catch is, even. Uh shout out Des Bryant. Um, go back go. But like for real. Like this this stuff is still evolving and I just think it really needs to be taken seriously and not again the problem i have is the on on the field staff didn't see it that way so for there to be a disconnect in the refing that that's where i have trouble and especially since it takes it takes a game away from a kid we could ha- we could we could go for a while on yeah. on targeting safety in so. football but let's <laughs> just make sure if we're making a call that we're taking it seriously um so back to uh, a little more positive. The defense played really well. Like uh, 21 points, lowest Sac State had this whole – they're the fewest they've scored this season, and they played Stanford, so that's something. Um, the second fewest was uh, the they scored 27 in a loss to Idaho a couple weeks ago. Um, just solid performance. Uh, the, honestly, I think it could have been a different story if – if those two penalties didn't halt that like fourth quarter Sac State drive, um, but it just held them to 334 yards of total offense, which um, I think would be third if they if like they average that it would be the third. Yeah, like Reiner, third best I'm defense in the Big Sky. As well, giving us a, a nice little shout out that if we did that weekly, um, that would be a top three, just like Ooh. you're saying. I bet that's where I heard that and did not remember. So thank you. Um, and Dustin Johnson led uh, led the team nine tackles. Then there were eight guys who had five. Uh, Kanapke was one, and uh, Tizzy Lewis. Napke. <laughs> I, I was on that. I I was on that boat for a while, but I've heard everybody else say it, Kanapke. So I think that's okay. They, they just don't know the family. That's fine. I've been to. Do you know the family? No. Is it Napoli? Oh. No, but I'm, I'm like... followed by uh, by uh, the, those guys on Twitter, and I swear to goodness, I swear to goodness, it's Napke. I want it to be Napke really bad, but I they, they can make they can do a they can make me do a burpee challenge for however many burpees they want if I'm saying it wrong. But I feel like <laughs> if you're saying it wrong, same goes. <laughs> um. Well, yeah, I don't think I can find the transition there. I want to talk about when Sac State didn't kick the field goal at the end of the first half. That it ended rough. up. It. I mean, it. It didn't matter because they won, but it mattered a lot because UNC was with eight in eight points uh, at the end of the game. Um, so they were at the UNC twenty, fourth and two with twenty seconds left, up fourteen ten, in the first half, second quarter. Um, they burned their last timeout on third down because. Uh, their player like kind of caught it and took a knee as he was falling out of bounds, but stayed in bounds. Um, and like th- they decided to go for it with no timeouts, fourth and two with 20 seconds left from the 20. And I feel like normally I can see where they're coming from with this. And I'm not like typically that critical because I, I'll just default to that guy knows better than I do, but I just don't understand this one. Like, like even 
So in, I guess the ideal scenario short, cause they ran a little rollout pass to the right um, and gave it to Marshall Martin um, just short of the line of scrimmage or just short of the first down, like towards the sideline. I, I assume the thinking is catch it short, get out of bounds quick, have like eight, like 16 seconds to run, take two shots to the end zone maybe. Um, but he slipped and like slipped down short of the line. And even if he had stayed up and got the first down, they would have had a hustle to the line to clock it in time to kick the field goal. They just could have kicked on fourth down. And I, I don't know. I'm struggling to see, I'm struggling to see the thinking behind that. Um, and that's admitting as a UNC fan, I wanted them to kick the field goal because I felt like if they went for it, they were going to score. But like disassociating from that, I feel like I can't, I can't wrap my head around why. Like, in the. It, so I, th- I think where they were trying it. to go with that is they were trying to get it in one of their playmakers' hands because um, I mean historically he he's been a real threat to the big sky, and um, this year's just been a quiet year. And yeah, I. They can't blame the long Greeley grass anymore. It's our uh, our nice shiny field turf, um, but yeah, it's. It, I think they were just trying to get it in their playmaker's hands and just wanted him to make a play, and maybe they could run one more hurry up. But if you run that hurry up, I mean, you're probably burning twelve seconds off. It was about eighteen seconds there. You're either spiking it immediately and having roughly five seconds um, on the on the game clock. Or, you know, you're just, you're going for it and hoping. But yeah, it, it was a bad decision for sure, um, especially since it didn't even get to the line. So that was kind of a, a happy, happy circumstance for UNC. And also in the fact if um, Hunter's kick, which seemed to go just over the, um, just over the upright, that was closer than it, than it should have been. Um, if he had that, that one as well, you know, it would have been a five point game. Yeah, a completely different story. Um, yeah, and, you know, that's just how, how the game went this week, and there was a lot of improvement, and hopefully we carry it into next week and come out with a win in San Luis Obispo. I think it's pretty safe to say uh, it was a, a pretty wild week around the big sky, uh, which I guess we haven't really had a completely crazy one like this yet. It, it's been a little unpredictable, but this felt all over the place. Um, yeah, I, I think it definitely reflect that. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, I think the best place to start is uh, is in the Kibbe Dome down in Idaho where Montana went into Idaho and knocked off uh I think they were ranked number 3 at the time uh 23-21 um Idaho did their absolute best to make a game of it scored two touchdowns late um got one two point conversion but couldn't couldn't get the other one um thought they got the onside kick there for a sec but my excitement was once again quelled um then they I guess the the play of the game was that that trick play they tried to run on the second two point conversion where the the running back ended up slipping and like hucked it into the end zone incomplete. 
Um, what, what were your thoughts on this game, Ben? You know, this is a bit of a shock. Uh, you know, little, little Brownstein game, uh, always is closer than it should be. And in the past, uh, Montana's done pretty well and they did well this week. Um, really, I think the deal breaker was Giovanni McCoy had two interceptions and, um, Idaho also lost a, a fumble. Uh, if those don't happen, I don't think it's nearly as close. Montana had a bit of a boring offense was just, that was just clean. Um, Clifton McDowell has really made all the difference, um, coming in for Vidlack. Nothing, nothing super spicy, not, not super exciting through the air. 11 for 18 for our 176 and a tutty. Um, also doing better on sacks. It was only sacked twice, but I mean, you, you look at Giovanni McCoy, and very good completion still, 26 for 37 for 336. He had two touchdowns, but he matched it with two interceptions. And he also got sacked six times. So really the pressure was on Idaho, and they just broke down a little bit. You know, whether it was the the missed kicks or the two-point conversion that didn't go their way, just at the end of the day, it was uh, it was their time to lose. And unfortunately, it makes Montana look that much better and all the critics a little bit worse. Yeah, so uh Ben, is Montana back? I th- I feel like we you know, we have to talk about they're if back Montana in the top back. 10, but they're not back <laughs> back. They they got a so, while to 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 show that. I mean, like this was a great win. You took Idaho out of the third spot. Um you put Sacramento State in the third spot, made us look a little bit better, gives our, ourselves a little bit more of a pat on the back for eight-point loss to number three, this is a great win. Um, You know, their other ranked win isn't as exciting. This is definitely a a marquee. Uh, I mean, for God's sake, Bobby Houck was storming the field. Like, you don't see coaches do that unless they are just pent up with so much stress, so much much pressure, probably a little bit of a hot seat. Um, You know, he, he couldn't help it. He ran on the field like a like a, you know, rowdy little teenager. So <laughs> they're back in the top 10, but I mean, they only won by two. This was, this is not a world beater. There was a lot of mistakes on Idaho's part. They took themselves out of the game to a big degree. Um, the run game was a hundred yards worse than Montana's. Literally they had 58 yards to Montana's 158. There's just, there's a lot to be desired and, Aiden Hatton is still showing out, still uh, making his case for player of the year across the league with 11 catches for 139 and two touchdowns. But I mean, his longest catch was 23 yards. Like the Grizz were doing everything they needed to. It wasn't fancy. It wasn't shiny, but they made less mistakes at the end of the day. So they get to be in back in the top 10. Yeah. Um, I don't want to be the one to give Montana credit, but I, I don't think you're giving them enough credit, Ben, because they were dominating this game for like three and a half quarters. It was 20, like, I mean, I guess they kind of dominated this game for the first half and then cruised for another quarter and a half till Idaho started storming back. But I think they, they convinced me a little bit. I'm still not fully back. I still think Idaho's the better team. I think they're the better team by... I don't know, like uh, if they play 10, Idaho wins seven margin, however you want to 
call that. Um, but kudos to Montana. Six and one is six and one. Uh, the, it's ugly, they, but they, it's, it's six wins. Exactly. Um, so let's move on to uh, Idaho State upsetting Eastern Washington. Uh, 42-41. Uh, Idaho State with 21 unanswered in the fourth. And two Eastern Washington missed field goals kind of helped help the comeback um what are your takeaways baby hawkins getting things done at idaho state yeah baby hawkins had a little bit cleaner of a game than uh aaron best and that's such a strange weird sentence to say um but it's true is it was a, a breakdown of discipline a breakdown of ability to um match what the other team is doing it's it's just a complete upset um not not only in the fact of the score and the win it's an upset in the fact that eastern washington is better than this and they let themselves play down to the level of the Bengals and ultimately paid for it um it's a bummer that the the kicker was having a little bit of a rough time there but 21 is not his fault you know, that just letting them come back from that far down, that is a, a coaching nightmare. And <laughs> Twitter was letting them have it, and I think it was well-deserved. I don't think they're going to do this a lot more often throughout the season. I think Idaho State kind of stole one. But at the end of the day, they made less mistakes. And whether it was just bombarding through the air uh, with the, the Cody Hawkins special, you know, whether it was just that, I mean, at the end of the day, they, they got the win. So Cody Hawkins is probably going nuts. He's probably probably popping champagne. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I'm happy for Idaho State. They haven't had a ton to be uh, be real thrilled about in the last couple of years, and it seems like Cody Hawkins is really bringing a juice, and it's it's paying off. Um, they're 2-1 in conference. I don't think this is the second – separate time this season they've had a conference a winning record in the big sky so they're also one and oh after defeating us uc davis 17 weaver state 16 um first off i had uc davis minus one and a half so this one's heartbreaking personally um but other than that it feels like two teams that are a little disappointing this year that are going to kind of finish middle of the big sky um but they turned into a good football game for it. Yeah, this one was uh, gritty and and rough. Um, it, it it was like it was like you using pumice stone as as bar soap. Um, it, it was tough. You know, Miles Hastings and UC Davis they they got ahead early, and uh, Weber State's quarterback uh, they switched up from. Weisler, thank goodness, but uh, Munoz was, he was having a tough time. Um, I, I think he's got good things ahead of him. I think he's going to turn into a good quarterback, but just doing some of that scared, you know, newbie rookie on the block type stuff, just like he's got the guy wide open, but he's rolling out and he's worried about some 300 pound guy behind him. So he just chucks it at, at the feet of his open receiver. Um, there's a lot of chances for Weber State to um, 
come back from this. And it was just, it, it was too little too late. And there wasn't enough, there just wasn't enough composure across the board. Just they're, they're trying to plug holes in a sinking ship and there's only so many quirks they can find. So I think Munoz will get better. Um, the, the Weber state defense was trying their hardest, uh, made some good turnovers. Um, but at the end of the day, UC Davis was just a little bit better. I mean, this is, this is a game that nobody should win. Nobody should win by 17 <laughs> points and yet it still happens. All right. Probably, uh, I guess I'd say the second most surprising match or outcome this last week was Portland state just putting it on Northern Arizona, 45 to 21. Um, and I loved, I loved after this, um, like, uh, like computer model had Portland state as the number 10 team in the FCS. And you were right on Q. Yeah. You were right on Q and his replies telling him he had Portland state too high, Ben. I, I appreciate the hustle. Again, I don't think that was, uh, that was genuine. I think that was, um, some, some computer algorithms that just happened to plunk the, the Vikings out and be like, Oh, look, this was cool. Um, yeah, it was cool. Uh, Dante Sashere, hmm, sorry, Dante Sashere, um, is just flat out amazing for what he does with so little passing attempts. Uh, 14 for 19 for 159 yards, but get this five touchdowns like dude is electric um he's very good at running as well probably one of the faster quarterbacks we've seen in a long time i mean 12 rushes for 83 yards and a touchdown like dante sasha ray is holding up the anthony anthony adams role of portland state he is the one marquee guy that everybody in the big sky knows and then we're all going to the roster being like okay who else (laughs) do we recognize no one cool um so so uh i so jumping not jumping forward but when i was trying to look up some uh just kind of to preview cal poly this next week i was running so short on cal poly stuff i actually went down a dante sachere rabbit hole (laughs) um so it's funny that you started on that let me see if i can find it yeah he's tied for the big sky lead in touchdowns with Sam Heward with 11 and with touchdown interception ratio at 11 to three, despite he only throws like for half of the yards per game as Heward does. Right. And I noticed he had three against North American and then five last week or the other day against NAU or against Northern Arizona. So those are, I think, heavily skewing his touchdown numbers. Yeah, I mean, like the the guy's incredible athlete, um, and really, they should be lucky to have him because he's he's the majority of their offense right there. Yeah. So, uh, what do we got? I scrolled down in the dock. Now I got to find back where we're at. Um, oh yeah, this game. That's why I couldn't remember it. Montana State fifty nine, Cal Poly nineteen. Um, <laughs> I I the line was at forty and a half. Um, they nailed it. I think I guessed 42 and a half, like kind of joking last on last week's pod. So I also kind of nailed it. Yeah. Um, give a slow clap for that one. Uh, we did pick the uh, over, or at least I did, but I mean, honestly, I when you lose by 40 points, like, does it, does it matter if it's 42? 
But other than that, I have literally zero thoughts on this game, and I don't know if you could pay me to have thoughts on this game. Uh, do you any anything you want to say? Uh, I just think it's wild that uh, Sam Heward had three touchdowns, and they still ended up with 19 points. That's um, <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, Tommy Malott is just not himself. Honestly, um, I know he accounted for two of the touchdowns, but let's let's just make sure that Sean Chambers gets the majority of the role uh, throughout the rest of the season. I mean, he seems to be indestructible, so screw it. Just let him be right. indestructible. I mean, Tommy Malott threw for two touchdowns on on uh, seven completions for 92 yards, and Sean Chambers, he also had seven completions for 151, no tutty, but he did rush four times for 91 yards and three touchdowns. So, yeah, just, just I don't know, Tommy Malott running, uh, I don't know. I know he's, I know he's a good quarterback. I know he's going to have to take over once uh, Sean Chambers, like, 20th year of football is done. But at this point, I would say just keep him safe. Keep him healthy. Let Sean Chambers run the rest of, of uh, the conference out and bring him back for playoffs. Yeah, I I feel like they're going to have to actually kind of figure that out down the line because they've always split snaps. And it feels like Malat was kind of always the the guy more so just just because that's kind of how it always was. Um, but it, as I mean, it may not even matter until a potential rematch against South Dakota State. But at some point when when it comes down to the highest level, I think they're going to have to make some tough decisions in that regard. I mean, at least they have two actual quarterbacks, uh, you know. <laughs> When when they had Troy Anderson, he was quarterback, running back, defensive end, and linebacker for the Bobcats. So at least we're not doing that shenanigans. Um, probably one of my favorite Big Sky players to come out of the league. But that was that was hard to watch. It's like how how much uh, tramadol and how much you know uh, party favors can this guy do to come out here and be the, this electric every week and not get hurt. You know, I love Sean Chambers and Tommy Malotz. He's a good dude. He's a good player, but he has been a little bit injury prone the last two years. So I'm just hoping they can stay, stay nice and healthy so they can, you know, have the best showing that they can against the other national competition. Damn it, Ben. How'd you trick me into talking about that game for three minutes? Hey, we weren't talking about Sam Heward and Cal Poly. Touche, yeah. You're talking about we'll get... the number two team in the country. I don't you're, know what you're talking about. Touche, touche. Um, but yeah, let's move Let's move forward. Number two team in the country is now number one on both of our Big Sky Power Rankings. Um, wild week for these Power Rankings, honestly. I had no idea what to do, really, two through ten. Um, Montana State at number one was pretty easy. And then UNC Cal Poly at 11-12. That's where I've had them for most of the season. So that one. And UNC, like, they played well. But, I mean, I can't justify moving them up after a loss. Um, so do you want to do you wanna start with yours or mine? Or I don't think there's a ton of carryover. Like, I don't think we have a ton of similarities, which is – the exact opposite of last week when we had basically every single pick the same. 
Au contraire, Monsieur. We do have something in common. You have a whole lot of movement on yours now, so you suckered oh. in and you became coffee creamer too. What did I do? Yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of movement on yours, just like there's a whole bunch of movement on mine. Oh. Because oh, this is oh, one I of those what you're saying. This is one of those uh just open a can of you know what type weeks and things are all over the kitchen walls and whatnot and somebody's gonna clean it up and it's definitely the bottom dwellers. Um Montana State and Idaho kind of being at the top is is our constants. Um UNC Cal Poly uh across the whole big sky rankings on uh, tubs of the club, uh eleven and twelve. From there I gave Montana credit. Um I didn't I didn't let them leapfrog Idaho necessarily. Um, but I, I think they deserved a lot of credit. Sac State, I think they should get dinged a little bit because they let the 11th best team in the conference uh, hmm. keep them within eight and possibly possibly less than that if we had uh, a few less mistakes. Uh, UC Davis, they won, and people had to be places. This middle was, was yep. rough. Dude, five through we both had ten. UC Davis at five for that exact reason because they won and they have to be somewhere. I don't, I don't like it. Like I don't, I. Yeah. Continue. I'm sorry. No, you're good. Five through ten was messy in the sense of what do we do with you? Like, you're you're a team, you're mid grade, but like, are you like 83 at a crappy you pump it station mid grade? Are you like? legit 85 at a come and go or you like a little bit better than you should be at like a like an 87 at a chevron or something like all all the mid grades have the numbers ripped off and we don't know what to do with them um uc davis was where they were because they won uh eastern washington i feel like they're still a good team and they should blame that on their coaches and their coaches should run 100 yard sprints rather than the whole (laughs) team so they got bumped down a couple spots Idaho State played above their belt, um, so they got ranked a little bit higher than they probably deserved to be. Uh, Northern Arizona let themselves get shellacked by Shashaway. That's a tongue twister. Add that to the book. Um, and then Shashaway's right there at nine. Like, they're good, but it's hard to tell how good they are because they get wins they shouldn't, and they get losses that they shouldn't. So kind of all over the board. And Weber State looks like a falling apart train that has no conductor. Um, it's tough. Weisler is not the option. Munoz is incredibly, um, let's just put it, he lives up to the freshman in, in, in all of the good ways and all of the ways that you don't want to see in a game. He is talented, but you can't see it because he freaks out. So, yeah, that's... That's my messy uh, big sky chili of the week. Yeah, I I think you did a good job kind of expressing how much I I just don't know either. You know, like I I'm trying to look at it. I have Northern Arizona. I dropped them five spots to number ten. That's probably a little extreme. But like then when you when I'm going through it, like. Portland State beat them, so I it makes Portland and they beat them easily. So I have Portland State at nine, and then I have UC Davis at five and Weber State at six, and like Weber State moved up two positions with like a very unconvincing loss, but but Eastern Washington lost to Idaho State, who I had like way below either team, 
and it just kind of like vomited itself out how it ended up and i don't think i would find a combination of teams that i actually did feel good about in the like that entire two through ten and i think that's kind of where uh football is just at it's like we got a little bit of shape of the big sky and then you know a little little kid kind of came in and drew his hands all over the frosting and you don't know what the pitcher was anymore so you gotta like you gotta remake it from the little little rubric that you have and you're like oh man this doesn't look quite right and it's going to be that way for I'd, I'd say the next two to three weeks um especially with our marquee games coming up like it's going to be tough um I, I don't i don't think we're going to feel great about it probably until we know who qualifies for playoffs <laughs> and who doesn't and with nau losing to portland state um effectively they've taken themselves out of out of it um even if they did beat montana state i i just don't see it as as enough to get in yeah i feel like i mean who knows who really knows at the end i feel like it's looking like four big sky teams are probably going to get in um i think we both had those as the top four just in different orders yeah i'd say Um, four deserve to get in there might be one or two that depending on other resumes might fit the bill um, or might that's just a, get on, on conference affiliation alone. That's a good way to put it. Just cause somebody's got to take those spots and I'm not, I'm not sure how convinced I am. Other teams around the country are that much, that much better than some of these middle big sky, like UC Davis types. Um, but I guess that's a good, uh, good way to move on to some of those other teams. Uh, and, more specifically, the ones that played in interesting games this last week. Um, I think I think the big headline out of out of FCS was North Dakota beating North Dakota State with conviction. I would say um, this second uh, second loss by NDSU. I think you pointed out like in real time that they're probably going to get swept by the Dakotas now. Yeah, um, that's kind of the joke going around uh, the socials is that. You know, they're they're if they're losing like this to the cousin schools per se, um, South Dakota State's gonna have a day with them. I heard, um, or I saw somebody's opinion. I have no idea whose it was at this point, but they mentioned that like every Missouri Valley team playing NDSU is like it's basically their Super Bowl that they're playing in, you know, because they've just, it feels some, it, it finally feels attainable after so many years of just be, getting just stomped by them time and time again. Um, for North Dakota, it's their first win over NDSU since 2003. I was kind of surprised to see that. Um, but I guess once I actually kind of thought about it a little more, it's not that surprising because I don't know how many people have really beaten NDSU since like 2011, 2013. I don't know what year it all kind of started. Um, and 49 points, the most NDSUs led up in the D1 era, which who knows if it means anything, but it's a it's a good talking point for people like us. <laughs> um and first time North Dakota State is outside of the top 10 since 2011. Oh, so that actually answered my question from earlier. It started before 2011. Um, I guess this is all kind of bringing me to the point of, is NDSU's dynasty over, Ben? 
that's surely for people who pay more attention to NDSU than us to answer. But, but what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that's got to be a little bit self-prescribed by the fans. Um, as far as everybody else is looking at this, um, losing to the cousin schools and potentially getting swept uh, among their region is that's probably the worst you could do besides uh, losing enough games that you get out of the playoffs. I mean, at this point they're unless they win the, the SDSU game, I think they're probably on the outside looking in of the, of the seeds for playoffs. And I mean, with three, three losses, like they're still going to get in. Um, I don't think it becomes a panic until four, maybe five losses, but is the dynasty over? I think you got to be out of uh, FCS fans nation kind of talked about it. You got to be out of the title two years in a row and, um, and not winning it. And I, I think I would say for them, for it to be over, I would say that you don't make it past quarterfinals in two to three years. So it's got a while before that, but this is a bad sign for sure. Yeah, it's it's I mean, we could sound silly talking about this in two years, but it's like a pretty it's a pretty real f- possibility that they could be facing in the next couple of years for sure. I think it's a precursor um, that that Ence's recruits are not living up to the daring. standard and maybe the the importance of the culture that Bull and Kleiman um, instilled in there just has maybe been a little bit lost. It's been a little bit commercialized. Um, This is just me talking out my ass, but I think it's along the lines of they kind of forgot who they were and maybe, um, maybe the recruits in their region just aren't hitting as much as, uh, as much as they used to. Yeah. My, my last um, point on that one is North Dakota's 23 and two at home in their last 25. Um, I mean, that's honestly an impressive mark for just about any team. So that felt worth worth mentioning. Hey, man, that's that's roughly roughly five years of games to lose twice at home. And yeah, that's... That, that must feel good for those fans. Shit, I wish we could get a little piece of that. Right? I, I, I take 50-50. <laughs> um, so moving on, our, uh, our game of the week. I didn't lead with it because that NDSU result was just pretty pretty surprising but south dakota um held off youngstown state they blew a uh, 21 point lead and then had to end up winning on a 41 yard field goal which even in the nfl that's not really one you look at is like you expect them to make it every time with the game on the line so that's that's really impressive for a fcs kicker um and like we were kind of talking about before we hopped on, I when you showed me the score, I don't even remember what it was, but it wasn't close when we were sitting at the UNC game. I just I paid no more attention to this this result until I was looking up doing some research for the pod this morning and was like shocked and had to actually go back in and see how that game played out. Yeah, it might have even been at that 20, 21 point mark where we're kind of like, oh man, Yotes are kind of just running away with it. Um, not, not a great showing of how to close out a game, but as Montana shows us week to week, a win is a win. Yeah, literally, hey, six and one, six and one. 
which I think is actually what South Dakota might be now. No, they've had a buy. I think they're five and one. Um, but the only other, not the only other game, but I, I figured I would mention Harvard because you've been you've been pretty high on Harvard, and I they're the only other unbeaten FCS team other than South Dakota State. And I, you know, I figured I'd let you take a victory lap if you wanted it. Yeah, I think uh, I think Harvard is a good team. Um, like I said, it's hard for the Ivies to really show themselves. Um, kind of like it's it's hard for the HBCUs to be um, as taken as seriously in the rankings as they really should be. So I think when they do good things, they should be recognized. Nice. Um, then the last two that we kind of talked about last week, uh, New Hampshire 38 to Albany 30 or Albany 31. And then Villanova shutting out Elon 21 to zero. Either of those results mean anything to you? I mean, the CAA is gigantic. It's at 14, 14 plus teams. Like it's, it's just massive. Looking at that standings is just nauseating. Um, what's going to happen in there because they're all familiar, they're all somewhat familiar with each other. Um, and a whole bunch of other bottom dwellers that are trying to come into the league and, you know, upset these blue bloods. Good for them. But I mean, the CAA is just, it's a crapshoot ever since JMU left. So, uh, I didn't expect Albany to lose this one, but kudos to New Hampshire and, uh, Villanova taking out Elon, uh, to the woodshed and blanking him. It's interesting. Um, Elon was pretty high for several years and they're, they're pretty low this year. Nice. Well, I think uh, that's another good time to take a break before we, we kind of look forward at uh, UNC Cal Poly then, then around the country. UNC going to San Luis Obispo um, on Saturday, taking on Cal Poly. Uh, just about everybody would would call these the bottom, the worst two teams in the Big Sky. Uh, so that being said, UNC kind of has to win this one if they're going to get a win this year. Not because they're incapable of beating the teams like later on in the schedule, but if you if they can't get over the hump against Cal Poly. I it I would struggle to see it happening. Um what what are you kind of thinking heading into this one? Yeah, I, I think uh must win is too much pressure because um we haven't even gotten a win for Lamb yet. <laughs> so I think we need a we need to produce in this game, the Northern Arizona game and the Portland State game. We're all kind of hovering somewhere around the bottom to uh, medium bottom and th- this is one of those games where it's like there there's no reason i mean they have two wins and we're still being ranked above cal poly like there's obvious problems there um their quarterbacks who keep on getting plugged in there from the fbs uh they do well but they don't do well enough to win games and we're kind of in a similar boat where uh we have revamped and we've oof, we've sent like 80 some guys through the program, you know, in the last, last two regimes of just 
just mass exoduses and we're trying to restart with the guys who are here to to grind and the guys who are uh, coming in brand new recruited and this is going to be battle of the bottom so (laughs) hopefully we come out on top hey i like what you did there um yeah personally this one's a big one for me because i've talked a lot of shit on cal poly and i i kind of need i need that to be true just self-esteem wise i think um but you kind of touched you kind of touched on the quarterback sam heward uh we talked a little bit about him earlier he's kind of the the standout of the team, I would say. Um, not trying to be disrespectful, but he's kind of been one of the few bright spots. Um, yeah, you mentioned he, FBS guy, originally went to Washington. Um, kind of, there are a few similarities between UNC and this Cal Poly team, and also him and and Jacob Sermon. Uh, just a little bit different, different paths, but from Washington State and like committed to Washington. Um, but Heward's fifth in the big sky, 217 pass yards a game. And like we mentioned earlier, he's tied with, uh, Dante Sachere for touchdown passes and, uh, touchdown interception ratio, 11 touchdowns, three interceptions. Uh, I think if Cal Poly is going to win against UNC or anybody else, they're going to have to score a lot of points because, um, their defense the last couple of years hasn't been hasn't been very good. Um, I think is it Coulter Nuanez uh, from the Montana Montana State guy ESPN. He said, I think it was him. He said they were the worst Big Sky defense he's ever seen last year, <laughs> and he's been around the been around the league for over a decade. Um, still allowing forty points per game this year, which is down down from forty five last year, but. It's not. Uh, it hasn't been a great transition from from the option to a, a more traditional style for for Cal Poly. Yeah, and thankfully, like the three times that we have played them, um, you know, we've only won once, but that was a fantastic win when we were in school, forty two to zero in twenty seventeen, and then in sixteen and nineteen we lost uh, by seven points each time. So. This is a relatively close game uh, historically, and really we just need to we need to play like we have been the last couple of weeks. As long as we play with that upward trajectory type play that we've had recently, I think we'll be all right. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't want to like speak out of pocket, but I'm starting to like convince myself that UNC could win by like three, four touchdowns, and that's that's scary. I I shouldn't. There's no reason I should allow myself to believe any such thing. But I feel like Cal Poly has just been definitively the worst team in the conference. Just about, I mean, in the entirety of conference play, um, they had a couple cupcake games early in the season, so their their overall record looks a little bit better, but. I don't know. I I guess the formula form is they probably come in and throw all over UNC secondary. Um, there's a couple breakdowns in coverage, and they score. They get up to an early lead. I I just kind of struggle to see to see where the the success comes for Cal Poly. Well, and see, I just 
I don't believe that they're that much better than us because the two wins that they have are over San Diego, which are good buddy Brandon Moore of theirs just having a terrible time. Um, I mean, Not, no scholarships and loss to a D two school, right? At home earlier this yeah. season. Shout out to uh, Colorado Mesa getting it done. Um, man, getting paid and getting it done at the D two level. I think that's even better than the FCS level. And then they played uh, D two Lincoln, um, which they beat forty one to twenty. Uh, and I mean, who who hasn't beat Lincoln this year? I mean, my goodness, their their schedule is just atrocious. Um, they've been getting steamrolled by everybody and their cousin, and you know that's great and all, but um, you know their their two wins are not quality to any degree. So I'm not I'm not going to get scared about them having two wins versus us not having any wins. Um, I mean they haven't played close in the last last couple games. It's all been three scores at least. Yeah, it's it's been at least three scores through um, conference competition. So I, I'm not worried about it at all. I think oh. UNC should have a good good time. Um, looks like it's going to be a Mustang family weekend, which I'm sure is, uh, well, I don't know, maybe Mustang Day was homecoming. <laughs> either either way, um, their friends they and family will not be proud of their them. website. And uh, it it should be the Bears coming out on top. I just, I don't, I don't think they have enough of of an identity to, other than their passing game, to be worried about anything in particular other than playing well. I think this is going to be just hammer the fundamentals, hammer consistency, and hammer discipline. You you take yeah, those three think... things, and I I think that just you know, one, one versus one, two versus two, that we have the edge in pretty much everything. Yeah. I think this will be, um, I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause I think this will be a good week to kind of see what UNC, like what their identity is and what they think they do well, um, for lack of a better term. Like, I think this is the type of game, like you said, UNC, like should be able to do what they think they do best and shouldn't have to be game planning so much to like finding weaknesses in the opposing team, you know? And I think I'm honestly interested to see what the coaches see as like the best version of this team. And I kind of hope that's kind of how this plays out. Um, But I also think there probably was an argument at the beginning of the season for like, and if they would have played in week one, I feel like there was a pretty fair chance Cal Poly would have taken that matchup, but I, it seems like UNC's really improved so far this year in a way that Cal Poly just hasn't. And that's not, I mean, not putting blame on any anyone really, but that's been the story for the last couple of years. So Paul Wolf had his work more than cut out for him when he, when he took that job this year. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. And just if if our close games uh that that we've been noticing and really highlighting and a, a few other people um notably tubs at the club have uh, kind of given us a little bit of shine for that if that shine if that upward trajectory means anything it'll show this week and if our consistency is just so much of a problem that we can't figure out a way to stabilize our success that'll show out too. So I think this 
if we win this week, what we've been doing is we're still on that upward, you know, mountain climber type game on prices, right? <laughs> we're still climbing the mountain. If, uh, if we don't win this Brian week. Brian Farron, 25 points per game. Right. <laughs> climber. <laughs> exactly. If we, if we don't, we're going to fall off and it's going to be a hundred percent our fault. Nice. Well, uh, so let's, let's move on, make, uh, make some picks this week. Uh, you, I, never mind. I was going to say we could, we could include the UNC game since this one's kind of a toss up, but there's no chance either of us would pick Cal Poly. So <laughs> that's not going to, going to affect the records much either way. We'll put it on the record. We we could use it after both going two and four. <laughs> yeah. Um, you did kind of come out ahead in a technicality with picking picking that you got one extra point picking uh south dakota over youngstown state but overall pretty bad week for both of us we were both on idaho both on eastern washington um both on northern arizona um i got the uc davis game right and you got the uh the south dakota game right and i think just about everybody and their mother would have got Montana State, right? <laughs> um, so this week is is a light week, Big Sky. This is where the rest of the teams that didn't take buys uh, last week are kind of splitting them this week and next. So there's only, only four games, including UNC. Um, but all four have at least a little bit of intrigue. They're all kind of, of equal teams. Um, the marquee of those... And honestly, maybe the one against the with the most like talent disparity, if, even though it's a two versus three in the country matchup, uh, Montana State at Sac State. Uh, take the floor, Ben. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, as much as we wanted to put this as our game of the week, we feel like there's going to be a mismatch. Um, kind of like earlier in the season, we audibled from what seemed like the easy um the easy go-to um sacramento is a weird place for both montana teams to play but really montana state they're they've been consistently in number two uh they almost beat number one but he didn't quite stay in bounds for that that walk-off touchdown ultimately the bobcats are on top and they've shown no reason to not be on top so i don't see why either of us um, would pick the Hornets, but that's no disrespect to them. It's just Montana State seems just a tier above, and until Sac State takes them down, it's just going to stay that way. Yeah, and um, honestly, I, I would have said before this last week that Idaho was the closest, the best chance of beating Montana State in the conference, and I guess, honestly, I still feel that's probably true. Well, we'll get um, a chance just... next week. You're right. But I, I just agree with you. Montana State, I think, is just a step above in a class of their own. That might just be them in, and uh, South Dakota State nationwide. Yeah, I, I think that's but, a good way to put it. I think South Dakota State, just because that win just gets that, that edge on okay. being in that first tier. Um, and then Montana State and Idaho were supposed to be in that second tier. Sac State's going to try to prove that they're supposed to be in there. We'll see what happens, but I think we're rolling Bob Kitties. Yeah, I guess I also didn't say it, but hundred percent I am picking I'm picking Montana State. I already typed it out. Um Weber State at Eastern Washington. Uh 
both coming off losses. I would say Eastern Washington's loss was definitely more disappointing, but Weber State, I think, has been more disappointing just overall. Um, this is probably the most toss-up of all the games. Uh, the FCS Reddit lines that we were looking at before we started had, I believe, the Eastern Washington favored by half a point. So, I mean, it might as well be a pick Um What are you feeling in this one? So I'm going to Eastern Washington because you can correct coaching, but you can't correct um, just lack of identity and lack of talent. Um, I I don't think Weber State is untalented. I just think their offense is anemic. And, um, you know, if, if you take just the conference play, um, I think Brian Marceau and uh, Tubbs said that they were about 13 and a half points per game. And that's just, it's unacceptable. You're not going to beat anybody with that unless you have an elite defense and they have a great defense, but it's not elite. Yeah, um, I agree. It feels even after that Idaho State loss, it feels like two teams kind of moving in opposite directions. Um, Eastern Washington isn't a world beater this year, but I think, I think most people outside of, of Cheney have been pleasantly surprised. Um, with how with how they performed, um, and and I was high on Weber coming into the season, but I I that has just completely fallen off. I don't believe in them. I would probably pick most teams over them with how they've been playing lately. Um, so I'm definitely picking Eastern Washington. Um, next we have Idaho State coming off of that big win against Eastern Washington, heading to Portland State, who. Uh, also coming off a big win, honestly, of NA, I don't really know what to make NAU, didn't before this week, really don't after this week, but, but what do you see in this one? You know, I'm going to put you on the hot seat and I'm going to let you choose because I don't agree with this line. They, I, I know this is a, a community uh, supported line on Reddit FCS, um, but, but I mean, 12 and a half for points to Portland State, I don't agree with it. Um, I want to pick Idaho State, but I don't know. I, I don't feel sold on them either. I guess I'll roll po- Portland State just for the, the fact of quarterback versus quarterback. I believe in Sasha Ray a little bit more, but I wouldn't be surprised if Idaho, Idaho State wins this game. I also would not be surprised if Idaho State wins. That's why I'm picking them. Um, I also like to make make it a little different. I... I think if I was putting money on it, I would not put money at Portland State minus 12 and a half. But if I was gun to my head, I would probably, I think Portland State would will probably win. But deep down, I want Idaho State to win. And we've, we've agreed on the first two. So we'll, we'll, I'll give you a chance to catch up as, as we kind of get deeper into the season here. And if Portland State wins, then I have to live with picking a winner <laughs> of who I didn't want to pick. Yeah, that's that's punishment enough. Yes. But I like honestly this Idaho State team is fun too. Like I like Cody Hawkins. I like that they throw the ball fifty five times a game. I like I, I just like the vibes over there, you know? I like the Jungle Land podcast that it's uh, let's let's go Idaho State. Um all right, so moving uh into our game of the week, it like you said, it probably very easily could have been Sac State, Montana State, and we're going to be like, why didn't we pick that one when Sac State wins? But 
neither of us think that's going to happen. So we decided to roll with number four Furman at number eight, Western Carolina. Um, Furman, kind of the established team, um, you know, typical like top, they're not, not necessarily a powerhouse, but like a, a perennial top, top team in the conference and in the country some years. Um, and Western Carolina, who I don't think has had much success historically, but is just on a tear this season and has just been shooting up the polls there. They seem like everybody's darling. Um, everybody who hates how the, uh, the stats perform poll ends up every week, <laughs> loves Western Carolina. So at some point there, there's going to come to a, to a crossroads here if they keep winning. Um, what do you think of this one, Ben? So I'm a big anti-Furman guy, nothing against them. I just always think they're a little bit too high in the polls and don't do quite enough in the playoffs. Um, stacking it up, I did go resume versus resume on this one. Um, and looking at it, I just think that Western Carolina does a little bit more throughout their season. Um, I mean, they, they had that game of the week where I missed the pick on that one. Um, they beat Chattanooga by two. By the way, our last two game of the weeks have been decided by five points total. So I think we're pretty good at choosing competitive games of the week. Um, and we're both, we're one and one. So like we're pretty much right down the middle. Right. Uh, the, the problems where I run into uh, with Furman is just going resume based as they beat an awful Kennesaw State team by three. Um, I mean, teams that shouldn't even have any 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 daylight of a chance of beating Kennesaw State have been beating them and by more than that. So I, I find that to be a red flag. Furman beat Sanford 27-21. And then looking at when Western Carolina played them, they beat them 30-7. So just kind of scoring up some similars. Um, I mean, they beat, Furman beat Citadel 28-14, Western Carolina 49-14. I know everything is hinged on their uh, explosive offense. I mean, shoot, they beat Charleston Southern 77 to 21. So it's all about that Cinderella offense. Um, the defense hasn't had a lot to get tested with. Um, Chattanooga put up the best test, and really they they kind of got lucky um, in that final drive to be able to set up that field goal. So. All in all, I think Western Carolina is my choice on resume. You know, I can't argue with anything you said. Um, Western Carolina's look impressive. Just everything about them this year has looked good. Um, and I, I love to see the like kind of that, not that they're an underdog because they've shown that they're not, but you know, that like kind of team that's the UNC of, of their conference, like kind of rising up and, uh, and climbing the polls. That being said, give me Furman. Yeah. Why not? You know, I, I, this one's kind of a toss up and I think it's more fun when we disagree on these. It lets the numbers be a little different at the end of the day. Well, I'm um, looking at my top 25, just, I, just cause I was curious where I had both of them. This is number four versus six for me. Um, and then uh, Montana State and um, Sacramento State, that would have been two versus, I'm still looking, still looking. Seven. 
Seven. Yeah. So I feel like, again, this is more competitive based off of what we've seen out of football. So we'll see what they put on the field on Saturday. Nice. So a couple other games, uh, not going to make picks on them, but we'll, we'll touch on them briefly. Um, South Dakota state at Southern Illinois, uh, number one versus number 12, but kind of along the lines of the Sac state, Montana state game. I, I feel like Sandy or still doing it. We're, we're eight weeks in and I'm still, I'm still calling them San Diego state. Attaboy, yes, uh, South yeah. Dakota. <laughs> I just think South Dakota State's in just a a league of their own. Yeah. I I do I've mentioned it a couple times. I think it's them and Montana State and then the rest. Um and so I maybe Southern Illinois will surprise us, but but I think this one's gonna you're shaking your head. I, I also think this one will be a pretty comfortable win for uh for the Jackrabbits. Um all right, so next we have North Dakota at Northern Iowa. Um, North Dakota coming off the big win, but they are on the road, which they've lost a lot more games on the road than they have at home. Not that either is a giant number. Um, and Northern Iowa is always a plucky team. I think feels like they're having a bit of a down year. Um, but do you any thoughts on that one, Ben? You know, Nor- Northern Iowa is typically tough, but I feel like the Fighting Hawks, if they want to be taken seriously, they need to keep on winning. So I'm going to lean the Fighting Hawks in this one, but you're you're right. Their road record is not as good as their, their home record at the Alora Center. So let, let's see if, uh, if they can keep on flying. I like it. Um, we have Holy Cross at uh, Lafayette, who's receiving votes. Um, to be honest, I do a podcast that involves heavily FCS football and I have not heard the name Lafayette all season. Um, but so I think whole, I, I would, I would pick Holy Cross if I had to, but, but good for them. Honestly, they're, they're making the climb. They're having, having themselves a solid season. I guess I'm, I'm saying that because I have no, no context or opinion on Lafayette to talk about. So if you have something, Ben. You know, I'm I'm not particularly impressed. I think it's um a pre- a bit premature for them to be receiving votes. Um but them and Lehigh have the the oldest uh rivalry in football and that's usually the most notable part of their whole season is that those two play and it's, you know, one or two wins versus one or two wins. So, I don't have a whole lot of faith in Holy Cross. No pun. Um but uh, yeah, I I don't have any faith in Lafayette. I mean, they had a good win over Columbia, twenty four three, a great win over Monmouth, twenty eight twenty. Even though Monmouth is kind of on a down year, uh, Bucknell, me, who cares? Um, and then a gritty twelve nine over Princeton. I mean that that's great. It's just it's so localized, and I just I I don't know. They don't have any marquee wins that. They get me that excited, and they lost forty-two to seven against Duke. So, I think the the votes are a bit premature. But uh, votes that weren't premature is in our next matchup. Uh, interestingly enough, I had Youngstown twenty-two, I believe. Yeah, I had them twenty-two, and Illinois State was actually my twenty-sixth. 
Um, so they fell just outside of my red shirts sports top 25. Nice. Yeah. I, I mean that, I think that's going to be a good game. I, and if it's not, I think it has all the makings of being a good game. Um, but yeah, I, another one, I don't have a ton, ton of opinions on. I mean, the most notable part is somebody will be in the polls and somebody won't the next week. Honestly, that, yeah. this is the battle to be ranked number 23rd in next week's stats perform poll. Um, all right. Well, we've you've kind of been referencing it here while we're talking about some of the, the bigger FCS stuff. Uh, that top 25 poll that you uh, you put together to vote on. Um, anywhere you want to start? If not, I can uh, I can pick out a couple that seem interesting to me. Yeah, I'll let you pick me off after I rattle off the top 10. Kind of this is just a combination of uh, Chris and I's thoughts, kind of what I see across the FCS, and um, just a little bit of our our composite of how we view football and how we view the top teams across the the league. So um, top five, not really any, any surprises there. We got South Dakota State, Montana State, South Dakota, Furman, and Idaho. Um, I didn't drop Idaho as much as everybody else did because I think it's a two-point loss that was their own fault, and it was a relatively close game in the end um, against a a generally tough conference opponent. So I didn't drop them as much as other people did. And then Western Carolina, Sac State, North Dakota, Montana, U, and Harvard uh, round out the top ten. Okay, so actually that's perfect because I want to start at number 11, Um, Incarnate Word. Am I crazy or did you have him fifth last week? I did, but Zach Calzada threw uh, three interceptions against a uh, FCS transitioning school, Texas A&M Commerce. Uh, I like Commerce. They have a a dope logo on their uh, their midfield that takes up like the whole alumni zone of their, their cool lion logo. Um, but it's not cool to throw three interceptions, especially against somebody who's transitioning and has had not the greatest year per se. Um, I think they're going to win out their conference. I think they will just keep on having wins the rest of the season. Um, it's just their wins are starting to look a little bit rougher when they don't win it at a top team margin. Very fair. I mean, I think I think this one kind of brought you a little closer to consensus on UIW. Is that crazy? Uh, no, I don't think right? so. Yeah, like, shit, I guess you kind of flopped with the stats perform poll because now Incarnate Word's fifth in that one. So, you know, just taking a deep maybe... dive on everybody's roster, I wanted to honestly, I wanted to knock Sacramento State further than I did, but resume wise, um, you know, they they still earned seven. So I, I think there's there's just some in there that are hard to knock because uh, they didn't have a great game. So, yeah, you can bump them down some spots, but a win is a win at the end of the day. Um, overall, for my Big Sky teams in the top 25, I had Montana State 2, Idaho 5, Sac State 7, and Montana 9. I did not rank Weber um, because I think they're never going to get back in the top 25 this season. Um, I think they've already long since thrown their their competitiveness out the door. Uh, UC Davis just hasn't done enough for me. I don't see enough uh, 
enough quality wins in quality ways. So I didn't include them. Um, some other ones that I didn't include quite yet are Eastern Kentucky and Austin P. I think they have good records. They just don't have great wins. Yeah. Um, and so I think you made a good point where UC Davis was kind of in the top 25 because that's just where they started and they, they hadn't really done anything to show they were a great team, but also they hadn't done anything egregious enough to like really warrant dropping them out. Um, so that, that makes sense. Uh, the other one that kind of caught my eye was, was Delaware at 12. Um, they're number, I think six or seven in the stats for form. Um, number seven. Uh, and they're one of those, uh, was it the AAC teams you were talking about earlier? They oh De- Delaware. Um, again, the the official list of blue bloods. I I don't know the top off of my head, but I would say that they are close to one, if not on that list. Um, I like what they've done. Um, looking at their season right here, I mean they haven't done poorly against anybody except for Penn State, and well, everybody in the FCS should do poorly against Penn State. Um. I mean, they had they've had good wins like New Hampshire. Um, they're in they're in my poll, I believe, or just outside of it. They're twenty four on my poll. They're just outside of it on the stats. Um, I feel like that's a good win. Uh, and then looking at some of their others, like NCA and T, I didn't feel like that was a great performance this week. Um, that team, since transitioning. Um, out of the MEAC and bouncing around and eventually ending up in the CAA um, just is not the team that used to be. Uh, Duquesne is not the team that used to be. St. Francis, that's a good win. That's a good margin. It's just, it's not a great team. So I feel like they are doing good things and they should be rewarded as a top 15 team, but they just, I don't see enough for top 10 quite yet. And again, my my top 10 versus somebody else's is going to be very different. Um, most people don't have Harvard as high as I do. I have them there strictly based off of they haven't done anything to warrant that that they should be moved down. And I think that Holy Cross win was unexpected, personally, in my opinion. And I think that shows a lot um, towards them having a quality win over UIW, maybe not having a quality win because they've played tough teams, but not necessarily a marquee team. Same thing with Delaware. They played some traditionally tough teams, but not tough this year. That makes a lot of sense. Um, anything else you wanted to touch on there before we, we sign off for the week? Yeah, I mean, it, there's definitely some nuances throughout it. Um, and it's it's really fun to kind of see people's outliers. Um, I, I think probably my outliers are probably more so in the, the 20 to 25s per se, other than Harvard. That's kind of just one I've just kind of kept on there because their their quarterback does amazing things running and passing. Um, so I think as long as he's leading them, um, that's kind of like a, a baby, baby version of Montana State. Um, not that we'll get to see it at the playoffs. So as the playoffs get closer, they might drop a little bit just out of the fact that they don't participate. Um, the only other notable thing on there is NDSU is 17. And if they lose again... There might be <laughs> low twenties. <20s. laughs> awesome. Well, 
Thank you for listening once again. Um, as always, if you if you like what you hear, leave a comment, please. And if you don't, leave a DM in Ben's inbox. Uh, again, for Bear Claw Media, I've been Chris Bowl and joined by Ben Schleiger. Have a good one. Thank you.